Section three of the Coming Race. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mary Rohde. The Coming Race by Edward George Bulwer Lytton. Chapter five. A voice accosted me, a very quiet and very musical key of voice in a language of which I could not understand a word, but it served to dispel my fear. I uncovered my face and looked up. The stranger, I could scarcely bring myself to call him man, surveyed me with an eye that seemed to read to the very depths of my heart. He then placed his left hand on my forehead, and with the staff in his right gently touched my shoulder. The effect of this double contact was magical. In place of my former terror, there passed into me a sense of contentment, of joy, of confidence in myself and in the being before me. I rose and spoke in my own language. He listened to me with apparent attention, but with a slight surprise in his looks, and shook his head as if to signify that I was not understood. He then took me by the hand, and led me in silence to the building. The entrance was open. Indeed, there was no door to it. We entered an immense hall, lighted by the same kind of luster as in the scene without, but diffusing a fragrant odor. The floor was in large tessellated blocks of precious metals, and partly covered with a sort of mat-like carpeting. A strain of low music— above and around undulated as if from invisible instruments seeming to belong naturally to the place just as the sound of murmuring waters belongs to a rocky landscape or the warble of birds to vernal groves a figure in a simpler garb than that of my guide but of similar fashion was standing motionless near the threshold my guide touched it twice with his staff and it put itself into a rapid and gliding movement, skimming noiselessly over the floor. Gazing on it, I then saw that it was no living form, but a mechanical automaton. It might be two minutes after it vanished through a doorless opening, half screened by curtains at the other end of the hall, when through the same opening advanced a boy of about twelve years old, with features closely resembling those of my guide, so that they seemed to me evidently son and father. On seeing me, the child uttered a cry, and lifted a staff like that borne by my guide, as if in menace. At a word from the elder, he dropped it. The two then conversed for some moments, examining me while they spoke. The child touched my garments, and stroked my face with evident curiosity, uttering a sound like a laugh, but with a hilarity more subdued than the mirth of our laughter. Presently the roof of the hall opened, and a platform descended, seemingly constructed of the same principle as the lifts used in hotels and warehouses for mounting from one story to another. The stranger placed himself and the child on the platform, and motioned to me to do the same, which I did. We ascended quickly and safely, and alighted in the midst of a corridor with doorways on either side. 
Through one of these doorways I was conducted into a chamber fitted up with an oriental splendor. The walls were tessellated with spars and metals and uncut jewels. Cushions and divans abounded. Apertures, as for windows, but unglazed, were made in the chamber, opening to the floor. And as I passed along I observed that these openings led into spacious balconies, and commanded views of the illumined landscape without. In cages suspended from the ceiling there were birds of strange form and bright plumage, which at our entrance set up a chorus of song, modulated into tune as is that of our piping bullfinches. A delicious fragrance, from censers of gold elaborately sculptured, filled the air. Several automata like the one I had seen stood dumb and motionless by the walls. The stranger placed me beside him on a divan, and again spoke to me, and again I spoke, but without the least advance towards understanding each other. But now I began to feel the effects of the blow I had received from the splinters of the falling rock more acutely than I had done at first. There came over me a sense of sickly faintness, accompanied with acute lancinating pains in the head and neck. I sank back on the seat and strove in vain to stifle a groan. On this the child, who had hitherto seemed to eye me with distrust or dislike, knelt by my side to support me. Taking one of my hands in both his own, he approached his lips to my forehead, breathing on it softly. In a few moments my pain ceased. A drowsy, heavy calm crept over me. I fell asleep. How long I remained in this state I know not, but when I woke I felt perfectly restored. My eyes opened upon a group of silent forms, seated around me in the gravity and quietude of Orientals, all more or less like the first stranger. The same mantling wings, the same fashion of garment, the same finx-like faces, with the deep dark eyes and red man's color. Above all, the same type of race, race akin to man's, but infinitely stronger of form and grandeur of aspect, and inspiring same unutterable feeling of dread. Yet each countenance was mild and tranquil, and even kindly in expression. And strangely enough, it seemed to me that in this very calm and benignity consisted the secret of the dread which the countenances inspired. They seemed as void of the lines and shadows which care and sorrow and passion and sin leave upon the faces of men, as are the faces of sculptured gods, or as, in the eyes of Christian mourners, seem the peaceful brows of the dead. I felt a warm hand on my shoulder. It was the child's. In his eyes there was a sort of lofty pity and tenderness, such as that which we may gaze on some suffering bird or butterfly. I shrank from that touch. I shrank from that eye. I was vaguely impressed with the belief that, had he so pleased, that child could have killed me as easily as a man can kill a bird or a butterfly. The child seemed pained at my repugnance, quitted me, and placed himself beside one of the windows. 
The others continued to converse with each other in a low tone, and by their glances towards me I could perceive that I was the object of their conversation. One in especial seemed to be urging some proposal affecting me on the being whom I had first met, and this last by his gesture seemed about to assent to it, when the child suddenly quitted his post by the window, placed himself between me and the other forms, as if in protection, and spoke quickly and eagerly. By some intuition or instinct, I felt that the child I had before so dreaded was pleading in my behalf. Ere he had ceased, another stranger entered the room. He appeared older than the rest, though not old, his countenance less smoothly serene than theirs, though equally regular in its features, seemed to me to have more the touch of a humanity akin to my own. He listened quietly to the words addressed to him, first by my guide, next by two others of the group, and lastly by the child, then turned towards myself and addressed me, not by words, but by signs and gestures. These I fancied that I perfectly understood, and I was not mistaken. I comprehended that he inquired whence I came. I extended my arm and pointed towards the road which had led me from the chasm in the rock. Then an idea seized me. I drew forth my pocket-book and sketched on one of its blank leaves a rough design of the ledge of the rock, the rope, myself clinging to it then of the cavernous rock below, the head of the reptile, the lifeless form of my friend. I gave this primitive kind of hieroglyph to my interrogator, who, after inspecting it gravely, handed it to his next neighbor, and it thus passed round the group. The being I had at first encountered then said a few words, and the child who approached and looked at my drawing, nodded as if he comprehended its purport, and, returning to the window, expanded the wings attached to his form, shook them once or twice, and then launched himself into space without. I started up in amaze and hastened to the window. The child was already in the air, buoyed on his wings, which he did not flap to and fro as a bird does, but which were elevated over his head, and seemed to bear him steadily aloft without effort of his own. His flight seemed as swift as an eagle's, and I observed that it was towards the rock whence I had descended, of which the outline loomed visible in the brilliant atmosphere. In a very few minutes he returned, skimming through the opening from which he had gone, and dropping on the floor the rope and grappling-hooks I had left at the descent from the chasm. Some words in a low tone passed between the beings present. One of the group touched an automaton, which started forward and glided from the room. Then the last comer, who had addressed me by gestures, rose, took me by the hand, and led me into the corridor. There the platform by which I had mounted awaited us. We placed ourselves on it, and were lowered into the hall below. My new companion, still holding me by the hand, conducted me from the building into a street, so to speak, that stretched beyond it, with buildings on either side, 
separated from each other by gardens bright with rich-coloured vegetation and strange flowers interspersed amidst these gardens which were divided from each other by low walls or walking slowly along the road were many forms similar to those i had already seen some of the passers-by on observing me approached my guide evidently by their tones looks and gestures addressing to him inquiries about myself in a few moments a crowd collected around us examining me with great interest as if i were some rare wild animal yet even in gratifying their curiosity they preserved a grave and courteous demeanour and after a few words from my guide who seemed to me to deprecate obstruction in our road they fell back with a stately inclination of head and resumed their own way with tranquil indifference midway in this thoroughfare we stopped at a building that differed from those we had hitherto passed inasmuch as it formed three sides of a vast court at the angles of which were lofty pyramidal towers in the open space between the sides was a circular fountain of colossal dimensions and throwing up a dazzling spray of what seemed to me fire we entered the building through an open doorway and came into an enormous hall in which were several groups of children all apparently employed in work as at some great factory there was a huge engine in the wall which was in full play with wheels and cylinders resembling our own steam engines except that it was richly ornamented with precious stones and metals and appeared to emanate a pale phosphorescent atmosphere of shifting light many of the children were at some mysterious work on this machinery others were seated before tables i was not allowed to linger long enough to examine into the nature of their employment not one young voice was heard not one young face turned to gaze on us they were all still and indifferent as may be ghosts through the midst of which pass unnoticed the forms of the living quitting this hall my guide led me through a gallery richly painted in compartments with a barbaric mixture of gold in the colours like pictures of louis cranach the subjects described on these walls appeared to my glance as intended to illustrate events in the history of the race amidst which i was admitted in all there were figures most of them like the manlike creatures i had seen but not all in the same fashion of garb nor all with wings there were also the effigies of various animals and birds wholly strange to me with backgrounds depicting landscapes or buildings so far as my imperfect knowledge of the pictorial art would allow me to form an opinion these paintings seemed very accurate in design and very rich in colouring showing a perfect knowledge of perspective but their details not arranged according to the rules of composition acknowledged by our artists wanting as it were a centre so that the effect was vague scattered confused bewildering they were like heterogeneous fragments of a dream of art we now came into a room of moderate size 
in which was assembled what i afterwards knew to be the family of my guide seated at a table spread as for repast the forms thus grouped were those of my guide's wife his daughter and two sons i recognized at once the difference between the two sexes though the two females were of taller stature and ampler proportions than the males and their countenances if still more symmetrical in outline and contour were devoid of the softness and timidity of expression which give charm to the face of woman as seen on the earth above the wife wore no wings the daughter wore wings longer than those of the males my guide uttered a few words on which all the persons seated rose and with that peculiar mildness of look and manner which i have before noticed and which is in truth the common attribute of this formidable race they saluted me according to their fashion which consists in laying the right hand very gently on the head and uttering a soft sibilant monosyllable a c equivalent to welcome the mistress of the house then seated me beside her and heaped a golden platter before me from one of the dishes while i ate and though the viands were new to me i marvelled more at the delicacy than the strangeness of their flavour my companions conversed quietly and so far as i could detect with polite avoidance of any direct reference to myself or any obtrusive scrutiny of my appearance yet i was the first creature of that variety of the human race to which i belong that they had ever beheld and was consequently regarded by them as a most curious and abnormal phenomenon but all rudeness is unknown to this people and the youngest child is taught to despise any vehement emotional demonstration when the meal was ended my guide again took me by the hand and re-entering the gallery touched a metallic plate inscribed with strange figures and which i rightly conjectured to be of the nature of our telegraphs a platform descended but this time we mounted to a much greater height than in the former building and found ourselves in a room of moderate dimensions and which in its general character had much that might be familiar to the associations of a visitor from the upper world there were shelves on the wall containing what appeared to be books and indeed were so mostly very small like our diamond duodecimos shaped in the fashion of our volumes and bound in sheets of fine metal there were several curious-looking pieces of mechanism scattered about apparently models such as might be seen in the study of any professional mechanician four automata mechanical contrivances which with these people answer the ordinary purposes of domestic service stood phantom-like at each angle in the wall in a recess was a low couch or bed with pillows a window with curtains of some fibrous material drawn aside opened upon a large balcony my host stepped out into the balcony i followed him we were on the uppermost story of one of the angular pyramids the view beyond was of a wild and solemn beauty impossible to describe 
the vast ranges of precipitous rock which formed the distant background, the intermediate valleys of mystic many-coloured herbage, the flash of waters, many of them like streams of roseate flame, the serene lustre diffused over all by myriads of lamps, combined to form a whole of which no words of mine can convey adequate description. So splendid was it, yet so sombre, so lovely, yet so awful. But my attention was soon diverted from these nether landscapes. Suddenly there arose, as from the streets below, a burst of joyous music. Then a winged form soared into the space. Another, as if in chase of the first, another and another, others after others, till the crowd grew thick and the number countless. But how describe the fantastic grace of these forms in their undulating movements? They appeared engaged in some sport or amusement, now forming into opposite squadrons, now scattering, now each group threading the other, soaring, descending, interweaving, severing, all in measured time to the music below, as if in the dance of the fabled Peary. I turned my gaze on my host in a feverish wonder. I ventured to place my hand on the large wings that lay folded on his breast, and in doing so a slight shock of electricity passed through me. I recoiled in fear. My host smiled, and, as if courteously to gratify my curiosity, slowly expanded his pinions. I observed that his garment beneath them became dilated as a bladder that fills with air. The arms seemed to slide into the wings, and in another moment he had launched himself into the luminous atmosphere, and hovered there, still, and with outspread wings, as an eagle that basks in the sun. Then, rapidly as an eagle swoops, he rushed downwards into the midst of one of the groups, skimming through the midst, and as suddenly again soaring aloft. Thereon three forms, in one of which I thought to recognize my host's daughter, detached themselves from the rest, and followed him as a bird sportively follows a bird. My eyes, dazzled with the lights and bewildered by the throngs, ceased to distinguish the gyrations and evolutions of these winged playmates, till presently my host re-emerged from the crowd and alighted at my side. The strangeness of all I had seen began now to operate fast on my senses. My mind itself began to wander. Though not inclined to be superstitious, nor hitherto believing that man could be brought into bodily communication with demons, I felt the terror and the wild excitement with which, in the Gothic ages, a traveller might have persuaded himself that he witnessed a sabbat of fiends and witches. I have a vague recollection of having attempted with vehement gesticulation and forms of exorcism and loud incoherent words to repel my courteous and indulgent host, of his mild endeavours to calm and soothe me, of his intelligent conjecture that my fright and bewilderment were occasioned by the difference of form and movement between us, which the wings that had excited my marvelling curiosity 
had in exercise made still more strongly perceptible of the gentle smile with which he had sought to dispel my alarm by dropping the wings to the ground and endeavouring to show me that they were but a mechanical contrivance that sudden transformation did but increase my horror and as extreme fright often shows itself by extreme daring i sprang at his throat like a wild beast on an instant i was felled to the ground as by an electric shock and the last confused images floating before my sight ere i became wholly insensible were the form of my host kneeling beside me with one hand on my forehead and the beautiful calm face of his daughter with large deep inscrutable eyes intently fixed upon my own chapter six i remained in this unconscious state as i afterwards learned for many days even for some weeks according to our computation of time when i recovered i was in a strange room my host and all his family were gathered round me and to my utter amaze my host's daughter accosted me in my own language with a slightly foreign accent how do you feel she asked it was some moments before i could overcome my surprise enough to falter out you know my language how who and what are you my host smiled and motioned to one of his sons who then took from a table a number of thin metallic sheets on which were traced drawings of various figures a house a tree a bird a man etc in these designs i recognized my own style of drawing under each figure was written the name of it in my language and in my writing and in another handwriting a word strange to me beneath it said the host thus we began and my daughter zee who belongs to the college of sages has been your instructress and ours too zee then placed before me other metallic sheets on which in my writing words first and then sentences were inscribed under each word and each sentence strange characters in another hand rallying my senses i comprehended that thus a rude dictionary had been effected had it been done while i was dreaming that is enough now said z in a tone of command repose and take food End of chapter 6